apparently there were some railroad survey workers who came across some graves behind Nancy's old homestead, and these were these were very shallow graves. They were male skeletons, and there were six of them laid out in in the dirt. And it added a little bit of uh, at least some some physical evidence to the legend that she had slain about six Tories at her homestead. You are listening to History Man, the platform for historians, curators, and authors to tell their stories of the American Revolution, walk in the footsteps of heroes, and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's episode, we are very fortunate to have Larry Stevens, a writer, historian, and filmmaker. So welcome, Larry. Thank you. Larry, you uh, you come to the table with uh, a pedigree of uh, several master's degrees. You've got a master's degree in history, a master's of education in social studies, and actually a master's in library science. So you are, you are quite the scholar. Well, uh, either that or maybe my middle name needs to become Larry Masters Stevens. So. <laughs> well, I'm very impressed with your, your pedigree, but I'm also very impressed with your book and your movie that you made. Uh, the book is called The Hornet's Nest, mm-hmm. and the movie is actually called The Hornet's Nest as well. I'll tell you what, I, I've, I've watched the movie and I know that our listeners will want to get a hold of that. And you're going to tell us a little bit how they can get a hold of that uh, and the book in the coming moments. Mm-hmm. But uh, tell us about the genesis of the, these projects. Well, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting story. You know, I, I think the, the very genesis point, the beginning point, would be the fact that I grew up as a, as a boy in Marietta, Georgia, right next to a Civil War battlefield, uh, Kennesaw Mountain. And I don't know, Eric, I guess it was in my blood. I just became uh, just enamored with history from a very early age. And the love of the American Civil War, which is almost a, you know, uh, an obsession here in the Deep South with so many Southerners, uh, eventually morphed into a, a larger love of American history in general. And then after studying the Civil War uh, for so many years, I realized, you know, I'd like to learn more about the revolution, uh, of how our country was founded. And I started doing some genealogy research. I found out that I had ancestors who had fought in the revolution, and one of whom had had moved to this area, uh, Wilkes County, Georgia, uh, which, you know, went by the moniker The Hornet's Nest during the American Revolution. Jimmy Carter wrote a book about the Hornet's Nest several years ago. But I became interested in uh, guerrilla warfare. I became interested in how our country got started, uh, started looking at my own family history and realized, you know, there's there's a deeper story here. This is, is not just your quintessential uh, story of American continentals fighting British redcoats. Uh, this is a, a, a war that took place on the home front in the Georgia backcountry. So the fact that um, Americans were fighting each other at one time, in addition to Native Americans, in addition to the Redcoats on occasion. Uh, It makes for a very complicated dynamic, and I've always been interested in the nuanced and sometimes contradictory aspects of American history. So that's kind of, to make a, a long story short, uh, that's kind of the genesis. It's been, uh, you know, taking place, uh, incubating uh, in my consciousness over the last several decades. And then it culminated with this film and with the book uh, last year in the summer of 2022. 
I'm very impressed with the story in general. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that a lot of the stories from the Revolutionary War, or any history for that matter, is really folklore. It mm -hmm. really is mm -hmm. one of these things that's passed down through family history. And then, you know, maybe there's some twists and turns with different mm -hmm. versions or whatever. Mm -hmm. But tell me about this particular story that mm -hmm. uh, just uh, got you interested in writing the book and mm -hmm. making the movie. Mm -hmm. Well, yes, and, and again, to um, kind of revisit um, this area, I, I know that uh, I have family members who are buried in Oglethorpe County, which is adjacent to Wilkes County, and at one time it was a part of the larger Wilkes County area. So again, that interest in family history kind of led me to a further analysis of the revolution in Wilkes County, and uh, as you said, there, there's a lot of folklore, uh, there are a lot of, there's a lot of hearsay, and I actually came across Nancy Hart. She's at the center of this story. Nancy Hart was just this uh, incredible frontier woman who was six feet tall and cross-eyed and red-headed and mean as a rattlesnake when she, ne when she had to be, and yet she was a mother and a wife, and she had uh, several children. And I went to her uh, old home site which uh, I believe the Georgia DAR many, many years ago placed a plaque there and uh, put a, a replica cabin on the site. Uh, this would be now technically in Elbert County, Georgia, just over the line from Oglethorpe, just north of the Broad River. And as I did uh, you know, further study, I said, you know, this lady's story needs to be told because, uh, I mean, it's an incredible story. And you know, it's not the same thing as kind of following an, an army of men on the field of battle and, and that sort of thing, which most of my career was spent analyzing military tactics and with men and with armies. I said, this is a civilian woman who got caught up in this uh, horrible situation. She had to, to defend herself and her family against this band of Tories, and nothing has ever been done on her life uh, in terms of a, a, a full-length book or a, a full-length film. And so uh, her story is really a microcosm of what was going on all over Wilkes County for a period of roughly six or seven years. I mean, these pioneers, they were... They had moved into the area just a few years beforehand. They had been sold a bill of goods by the royal governor of Georgia, James Wright. He said, come on in here. You can grow tobacco. You can herd cattle. You can make a lot of money. This is virgin territory. But what the governor neglected to tell them, or maybe he minimized uh, this information, was, by the way, this land was ceded to us by the Creek Indians and by the Cherokee, and there may still be a problem with Indians. And so they move into this area unawares. They buy this land for, for mere pence on the pound. I mean, we're talking 200-acre uh, tracks. That was the average. And then no sooner do they get settled in, they build their cabins, they start growing their crops, they start uh, you know, developing their herds, and then here come the Indians. And so it, uh, it's just a nasty, ugly, brutal, guerrilla warfare type of uh, affair. So tell me a little bit, let's, let's set the listeners up a little bit here. Uh, Georgia itself was founded um, as a almost a penal colony in some mm, respects. Uh, yeah. I know Oglethorpe was one of the uh, leading men during that time. Mm -hmm. But you did have the Creek Nation mm -hmm. in the middle part of this state. When we think about Georgia, we think about this vast expanse of a state on the East Coast between South Carolina and Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me 
Tell me how, how many counties or how many districts, how did Georgia look during the time of the revolution? Mm. Well, I, I would say that Georgia was a just a very narrow strip of land, uh, really paralleling the Savannah River. Uh, if you're looking at uh, the northern border of what would become the state of Georgia or what was then the colony of Georgia, you're probably looking at the Broad River as being the northern boundary. And we're talking about the Broad River in Georgia. In Georgia. Not necessarily the Broad River, not the Broad River in South Carolina. Right, right. And great distinction there. Yeah, the Broad River of, Nor- of North Georgia, which was a tributary of the Savannah River. Uh, we're talking about probably maybe no more than 50 to 75 miles due west of the Savannah River to the Oconee River, which is the western boundary of Georgia. And it's a very narrow strip of uh, land that runs from the Broad River in the north all the way down through Augusta to Savannah itself. And then from Savannah southward to the Florida line, again, you're looking at a very narrow strip of land, probably no more than 75 uh, to 100 miles at the most going west. And that was Georgia. That narrow ribbon of land was, was Georgia. And in terms of the number of counties, of course, they were parishes. Uh, when when they were under British rule, and in 1777, as independence was declared in Georgia, those uh, parishes became counties. I'm thinking probably no more than seven or eight right, at right. the most. And so when we think about Augusta, Georgia now, today, mm-hmm. we think about the, uh, the PGA Tour, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Augusta, Georgia, mm-hmm. that was basically, would you say that was in the middle of those that strip of counties? Or mm, Augusta top third or yeah Augusta would be around the top third right right yeah okay yeah all right so everything to the west mm-hmm. would be what that would be Indian land uh, which I means? mean we're talking creeks okay primarily right. the Creek Nation yeah okay and then the northern part of that strip of land those strip mm-hmm. of counties mm-hmm. strip of land bordering the Savannah River that you were talking about. North of there, you may have on the west side the Creek mm-hmm. Indians, but mm-hmm. on the north side you had which Indians? You have the Cherokee. The Cherokee that mm-hmm. went over to South yes. Carolina and North Carolina. Yes. Well, yes. Isn't that interesting? Okay. So where was Miss Hart's place in relation to all that? Okay. She would be uh, probably, I'm thinking, uh, if I were to look at the, if I were to walk from the Savannah River along the Broad River going due west, uh, probably 20 miles uh, from the confluence of the Broad and the um, Savannah River to what is now um, State Highway, I believe it's State Highway 77, crosses a bridge there and heads on into Elberton. Uh, it's between Lexington, Georgia and Elberton, Georgia. So her strip of land would be, um, you know, about 20 miles due west of the confluence of the Broad and the, and the, um, and the Savannah River. So we, this is literally... On the boundary of Georgia at that time. Yes, yes, uh uh-huh, yeah. I mean, these people, and they typically were living on spreads of land that might be anywhere from 50 to 100 to 200 acres at the most. I mean, you did have a handful of wealthy landowners in the area who, who literally owned thousands of acres. But, and those were the loyalists, by the way, but they were in the, the, the minority because the vast majority of the colonists were probably poor to middle income Carolinians who moved in there and settled to the west of of the best 
the best land, the best, the prime farmland was, of course, the closest land to the river, to the Savannah River. But as you move farther west, you're moving closer to Indian territory. You're moving out into a very isolated area. And these farms were separated by anywhere from four to five miles. So your nearest neighbor would, uh, would not be right next door. You would be uh, isolated out there on the frontier. Where was the closest trading post? Yeah, I think probably the, there was at one time there was a little settlement called Dartmouth, which would be at the confluence of the, again, the Savannah River and the Broad River. So the nearest trading post would be approximately 20 miles due east from Nancy's uh, homestead. And if you're talking a really, really big um, trading post, Augusta, which would be about 40 miles to the southeast of her homestead, would be the next nearest uh, trading post. And this was a, um, uh, for Native Americans, Augusta was a big deerskin trading post. This was where they were bringing the deerskins in uh, to the to be shipped downriver to Savannah to tanneries, and then in, they would the the tanneries would would take care of the deer skin and would refine it a bit more, and then it would be shipped across the ocean to England, where the deer skins were then uh, converted into uh, you know finished products like belts, shoes, hats, that sort of thing. A tremendous market for deer skin, and and this is a little known fact too, is that at one time Native Americans in Georgia had hunted the white-tailed deer almost to the point of extinction. So lucrative was the deer trade for uh, the, the English traders in, who were based in Augusta and the tanneries down in Savannah. So how did Miss Hart, how did this story blossom into the story that it is today? It's a great, that's a great question. And that is a question that has befuddled historians for many generations. I know that uh, at one time, after Nancy's husband had passed away. Incidentally, they, after the revolution, she and her husband, Ben, moved down to Brunswick, Georgia. He became a very successful uh, planter down there, uh, had a, even owned a few slaves and had, a, I believe, a small rice plantation. But anyway, after he died, she sold off his assets and she moved to be closer to her son and daughter-in-law. Her son was the county sheriff uh, in Athens, Clark County, where the University of Georgia is based, John Clark and his wife, uh, Patience, the former Patience Lane. And as an elderly woman living with her son and daughter-in-law, Nancy began to regale them with stories of her exploits during the revolution. And so apparently uh, Patience told everyone she could possibly think of And there were stories about Nancy, you know, that were going on back in Wilkes County. So she had, uh, you know, by the time Nancy passed away in 1830, she had already become something of a folk legend in northeast Georgia, particularly in, you know, the the, um, Elbert County area and also also Athens-Clark County. So again, a lot of it was predicated upon oral, uh, you know, just simply uh, telling these stories. And then, I believe it was in 1912 that the Atlanta Constitution ran with a story that gained a lot of traction. Apparently, there were some railroad survey workers who came across some graves behind Nancy's old homestead. And these were 
These were very shallow graves. They were male skeletons, and there were six of them laid out in, in the dirt. And it added a little bit of uh, at least some, some physical evidence to the legend that she had slain about six Tories at her homestead. And this was a story that had been uh, told from time to time uh, and had been written down in books and, and small narratives of Nancy's life. And now we have some physical evidence pointing to the fact that this probably happened, that this wasn't just uh, you know some kind of legend, that there was actually something to it. And so just over a period of several generations, Nancy became at least if not famous in the area in the region uh, in the in the south at least she became famous in Georgia as one of the folk heroes of the American Revolution sounds to me like uh, it was kind of like the original stand your ground law there where <laughs> i think so yeah <laughs> so she's mm-hmm. got a graveyard in her backyard mm-hmm. is, is basically what it so tell right. us uh, tell us the story uh, mm. if, you, if, if you can, I okay. know you want people to pick up the book, mm-hmm. The Hornet's Nest, or the movie, The Hornet's Nest, mm-hmm. but tell us a little bit about the story to, to kind of pique our interest. Okay, all right. Well, Nancy was, um, from all the oral uh, stories that have revolved around her life, she was uh, very much against the Tories. Uh, she was very much against, you know, uh, any kind of aggression directed at her or her family. She shared that sympathy with many of her neighbors. We, we're not sure. She may or may, she may or may not have participated in the Battle of Kettle Creek, which is the most famous battle of the revolution in Wilkes County, Georgia. Well, let me, let me stop you. Okay. A battle that had, that had uh, several leaders that mm-hmm. were tied to Kings Mountain and Cowpens mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of the battles that, that actually had the turning point of the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. We're talking Elijah Clark, right? We're talking right. Pickens, right. Andrew Pickens from mm-hmm. South Carolina, right. and, and several of those, uh, those captains and, and, mm-hmm. and uh, majors underneath them. So. Right, right. And so I guess what I would add to that is that Back then, you know, the the Patriots, they knew each other. They had worked together for many, many years, first uh, fighting the Indians. They had also fought uh, crackers, you know, a group of ruffians who had come into that area. And uh, they were, for lack of a better term, they were outlaws. And the, the crackers had been a criminal element that these uh, Patriots had had to subdue back in the 1760s. So they had a crime wave that they had to overcome in western South Carolina. And Pickens was, was on the front end of that. Uh, Elijah Clark uh, and John Dooley, who was another commander of the militia in Wilkes County, they were all involved in that campaign against the Cherokee and against the crackers. And then when the war breaks out and we have Tories, threatening to come into the ceded lands and overrun the area. And we've also got a few Tories living in their midst. You know, all these people know each other. And, you know, word has it that Nancy's husband, Benjamin, was a part of the militia uh, that defended Wilkes County against the Tories. And so by proxy, she would have been involved in that in some capacity. So to get to the meat of the story, Wilkes County was an area that was just consumed with guerrilla warfare from about 1776 until about 1782, when the last of the Tory element was finally, you know, disposed of. But during those six years, Nancy had um, kind of gained a reputation as a local medical practitioner, as an herbalist, 
Uh, she would often go around to homesteads and, and you know, try to administer medicine to those who were sick or bedridden. The story goes that uh, John Dooley, who was one of the leading Whig militia commanders in Wilkes County, had gotten sick. And Nancy went there to his homestead to help him, uh, you know, give him some kind of medicine to help him mend up. But John Dooley by that time had already made several enemies in Wilkes County. And word has it that a Tory gang came into his homestead one day or one evening, and basically they, they killed him in front of his family, in front of his wife and his kids. And then they wanted to get more information from the survivors about, do you know where Elijah Clark is? Do you know where Nancy Hart is? Do you know where we've got a hit list here? We've got several people we want to take out. And so we're not sure exactly uh, if it's the same gang that, uh, that went on to her homestead or if it was a different gang. That's where it kind of becomes fuzzy. The story becomes very, very fuzzy. So all we know is that uh, the folk legend has it that Nancy... Nancy's name came up somehow, and perhaps some of the kids, maybe under threat of being executed uh, by this uh, gang that had just killed their father, kind of pointed her, pointed the gang in the direction of where her homestead might be. Again, we don't know whether this is true or not. I hasten to add that this is, you know, this is all hearsay. This is not fact. But we do know that regardless of whether it was fact or not, that there were gangs constantly raging through Wilkes County. Both the Tories and the Patriots were constantly trying to find each other and eliminate each other. So it was a war of elimination. So this gang appears on her doorstep. They are, they've already been drinking heavily. They're grogged up. They come into her homestead. They, they uh, uh, want to get more information from her. Uh, by the way, uh, do you know anybody else you know, out here that uh, we could dispose of? So we're not really sure. Again, it's a lot of it's hearsay, but she basically got the men even drunker than they already were. And then at some point in the encounter, uh, and it was just her and her daughter. They were the only two there at the time. Uh, I think she had a... a 14 or 15-year-old daughter with her name Suki. And those two women stood up to those men, got them good and drunk, and stood up to them and managed to wrestle their guns away from them. And then they dispatched them into the next world uh, in, in short order. And so it was quite an achievement for her. They didn't kill all of them at, at the time. They held, a, a, I think, maybe they killed about two or three of them, and then they held the other two or three at gunpoint. And then legend has it that Suki ran out on the back porch uh, with a, uh, a conch shell that she had somehow, they, the family had somehow gotten this conch shell from the ocean and uh, blew this conch shell, which was kind of an alarm for people in the area to come to the cabin. All the neighbors, you know, uh, then converged on the cabin and then they, they strung up the remaining three Tories from a nearby oak tree. So that's uh, that's the, the 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 story in a nutshell. Well, it's a fascinating story. It really mm-hmm. is. Tell our listeners a little bit about how they can get a hold of your book, how they can get a hold of the the film. Yeah, I think they'll be very pleased if they get a hold of either one or both. Okay. Well, thank you, Eric. Um, I think the the easiest way to to get in touch with me would be through my email, which I don't mind sharing. It's all one word, lowercase. Larry Stevens, and that's uh, L-A-R-R-Y-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-2-5 at gmail.com. 
If people will get in touch with me via email, uh, I do accept PayPal, and that's probably the easiest way to get a copy of the book and the, the movie. Uh, the book is $10. The movie is also $10. And it's, um, I think, for, for the amount of um, content you're getting, it's quite a bargain. Well, I think it is. And I know that you were on tour right now to all the Sons of the American Revolution, Society Sons of the American Revolution chapters around Georgia and uh, South Carolina. And like I said earlier, you and I met at the Battle of Camden, South Carolina. Yeah. What would you want people to take away from their read of your book or their viewing of your of your movie? What mm. would you want them to take away from it? That's a good, that's a good question. I, I think that I have just such a great passion for the American Revolution that um, I think they would become more informed of how nuanced and how complicated the war was here in the southern colonies. That's one thing that I would want them to take away from it. It's a great story, just the fact that it's loosely based on fact. Uh, again, much of what we know about Nancy Hart is predicated upon oral legend, but you know, behind every legend, there's usually a morsel of factual material. So her story needs to be told. Uh, she was quite a strong woman uh, for people who are interested in women's studies. She is a perfect example of the archetypal frontier woman standing up to overwhelming odds. So uh, that's uh, another takeaway point from it. You know, uh, just a few concluding remarks. Uh, not all of the Tories were necessarily bad guys, uh, and not all of the Patriots were good guys. Uh, it's kind of a gray area. And in fact, sometimes people even switch sides. So that shows you how complicated it was. Uh, life was extremely short and brutal, and it was hard. And I think I would want people to uh, understand that our ancestors really paid a severe price and really laid the foundation for what our country would become. So I would want to engender within folks a deeper appreciation for what our ancestors went through. And then I guess the final point that I would want to make is that the, the revolution pushed people uh, back toward God or push them toward God in the first place. I really believe that the revolution set the stage for the Second Great Awakening. Uh, when you think about all the churches that were built uh, in the frontier area, in the Georgia backcountry and in the Carolinas and on further west in Tennessee and Kentucky and the immediate aftermath of the revolution, uh, that didn't just um, happen by chance. I think there's a strong uh, evidence out there to indicate that people kind of curtailed their drinking, they, they curtailed their their wild behavior. And I think that we, we our country uh, came back to God as a result of the uh, revolution. And I, it certainly applied to Nancy and her family. So those are all some takeaway points I would want people to, to come away with. Fantastic book, fantastic movie. And I, I applaud both of those projects that you did. I know that our listeners will, will benefit not only just from an entertainment standpoint, but from a uh, scholarly standpoint, from, from viewing the book or viewing the movie and reading the book. So thank you so much, Larry. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it.